The Telltale Film. Receiving no reply, she drew herself up and stood smiling at the happy thoughts that seemed to flood her being. But a door opened at the back of the room, and an old peasant woman entered with a tray laden with bread, butter, and milk. Here, Rose, my pretty one, I've brought you your supper, milk fresh from the cow. And putting down the tray, she continued, Aren't you afraid, Rose, of the chill of the night air? Perhaps you're expecting your sweetheart. I haven't a sweetheart, my dear old Catherine. What next? said the old woman, laughing. <laughs> Only this morning there were footprints under the window that didn't look at all proper. A burglar's footprints, perhaps, Catherine? Well, I don't say they weren't, Rose dear. Especially as in your calling you have a lot of people around you whom it's well to be careful of. For instance, your friend, Dalbrek, eh? Nice goings-on, his are. You saw the paper yesterday, a fellow who has robbed and murdered people and carried off a woman at Le Havre. Hortense and Renine would have much liked to know what Rose André thought of the revelations, but she had turned her back to them and was sitting at her supper, and the window was now closed so that they could neither hear her reply nor see the expression of her features. They waited for a moment. Hortense was listening with an anxious face. But Renine began to laugh. Very funny. <laughs> really funny, and such an unexpected ending. And we who were hunting for her in some cave or damp cellar, a horrible tomb where the poor thing was dying of hunger. <laughs> it's a fact. She knew the terrors of the first night of captivity, and I maintain that on that first night she was flung half-dead into the cave. Only there you are. The next morning she was alive. One night was enough to tame the little rogue and to make Dalbrek as handsome as Prince Charming in her eyes. For see the difference. On the films or in novels, the happy princesses resist or commit suicide. But in real life? Oh, woman. Woman. Yes, said Hortense, but the man she loves is almost certainly dead. And a good thing, too. It would be the best solution. What would be the outcome of this criminal love for a thief and murderer? A few minutes passed. Then, amid the peaceful silence of the waning day, mingled with the first shadows of the twilight, they again heard the grating of the window which was cautiously opened. Rose André leaned over the garden and waited, with her eyes turned to the wall, as though she saw something there. Presently, Renine shook the ivy branches. Ah, she said, this time I know you're there. Yes, the ivy's moving, George. George, darling, why do you keep me waiting? Catherine is gone, I'm here all alone. She had knelt down and was distractedly stretching out her shapely arms covered with bangles which clashed with a metallic sound. George, George. Her every movement, the thrill of her voice, her whole being expressed a desire and love. Hortense, deeply touched, could not help saying, How the poor thing loves him! If she but knew... Ah! cried the girl. You've spoken! You're there, and you want me to come to you, don't you? Here I am, George! She climbed over the window ledge and began to run, while Renine went round the wall and advanced to meet her. She stopped short in front of him and stood choking at the sight of this man and woman whom she did not know, 
and who were stepping out of the very shadow from which her beloved appeared to her each night. Renin bowed, gave his name, and introduced his companion, Madame Hortense Daniel, a pupil and friend of your mother's. Still motionless with stupefaction, her features drawn, she stammered, You... you know who I am? And you were there just now? You heard what I was saying? Renin, without hesitating or pausing in his speech, said, You are Rose André, the happy princess. We saw you on the films the other evening, and circumstances led us to set out in search of you. To Le Havre, where you were abducted on the day when you were to leave for America, and to the forest of Bretonne, where you were imprisoned. She protested eagerly with a forced laugh. <laughs> what is all this? I have not been to Le Havre. I came straight here, abducted, imprisoned. What nonsense! Yes, imprisoned, in the same cave as the happy princess, and you broke off some branches to the right of the cave. But how absurd! Who would have abducted me? I have no enemy. There is a man in love with you, the one whom you were expecting just now. Yes, my lover, she said proudly. Have I not the right to receive whom I like? You have the right. You are a free agent. But the man who comes to see you every evening is wanted by the police. His name is George Dalbrecq. He killed Bourguet, the jeweler. The accusation made her start with indignation, and she exclaimed, It's a lie, an infamous fabrication of the newspapers. George was in Paris on the night of the murder. He can prove it. He stole a motor car and 40,000 francs in notes. She retorted vehemently, The motor car was taken back by his friends, and the notes will be restored. He never touched them. My leaving for America had made him lose his head. Very well, I'm quite willing to believe everything that you say, but the police may show less faith in these statements and less indulgence. She became suddenly uneasy and faltered. The police? There's nothing to fear from them. They won't know. Where to find him? I succeeded, at all events. He's working as a woodcutter in the forest of Bretonne. Yes, but you... Th that was an accident. Whereas the police... The words left her lips with the greatest difficulty. Her voice was trembling, and suddenly she rushed at Renine, stammering, He's arrested? I'm sure of it. And you have come to tell me... Arrested? Wounded? Dead, perhaps? Oh, please, please. She had no strength left. All her pride, all the certainty of her great love, gave way to an immense despair, and she sobbed out, No, no, he, he's, he's not dead, is he? No, I feel that he's not dead. Oh, sir, how unjust it all is. He's the gentlest man, the best that ever lived. He has changed my whole life. Everything is different since I began to love him, and I love him so, I love him. I want to go to him, take me to him. I want them to arrest me too, I love him, I, I could not live without him. An impulse of sympathy made Hortense put her arms around the girl's neck and say warmly, Yes, come, he is not dead, I'm sure, only wounded, and Prince Renin will save him. You will, won't you, Renin? Come. Make up a story for your servant. Say that you're going somewhere by train and that she's not to tell anybody. Be quick. Put on a wrap. We will save him. I swear we will. Rose André went indoors and returned almost at once, disguised beyond recognition in a long cloak and a veil that shrouded her face, 
and they all took the road back to Routeau. At the inn, Rose-André passed as a friend whom they had been to fetch in the neighborhood and were taking to Paris with them. Renine ran out to make inquiries and came back to the two women. It's all right. Dalbrec is alive. They've put him to bed in a private room at the mayor's office. He has a broken leg and a rather high temperature, but all the same, they expect to move him to Rouen tomorrow, and they have telephoned there for a motor car. And then? asked Rose-André anxiously. Renine smiled. Why, then we shall leave at daybreak. We shall take up our positions in a sunken road, rifle in hand, attack the motor coach, and carry off George. Oh, don't laugh, she said plaintively. I'm so unhappy. But the adventure seemed to amuse Renine, and when he was alone with Hortense, he exclaimed, You see what comes of preferring dishonor to death? But hang it all, who could have expected this? It isn't a bit the way in which things happen in the pictures. Once the man of the woods had carried off his victim, and considering that for three weeks there was no one to defend her, how could we imagine, we who had been proceeding all along under the influence of the pictures, that in the space of a few hours the victim would become a princess in love? Confound that George. I now understand the sly, humorous look which I surprised on his mobile features. He remembered, George did, and he didn't care a hang for me. Oh, he tricked me nicely. And you, my dear, he tricked you too. And it was all the influence of the film. They show us at the cinema a brute beast, a sort of long-haired, ape-faced savage. What can a man like that be in real life? A brute, inevitably, don't you agree? Well, he's nothing of the kind. He's a Don Juan. The humbug. You will save him, won't you? said Hortense in a beseeching tone. Are you very anxious that I should? Very. In that case, promise to give me your hand to kiss. You can have both hands, Renine, and gladly. The night was uneventful. Renine had given orders for the two ladies to be awoken at an early hour. When they came down, the motor was leaving the yard and pulling up in front of the inn. It was raining, and Adolphe, the chauffeur, had fixed up the long, low hood and packed the luggage inside. Renine called for his bill. They all three took a cup of coffee. But just as they were leaving the room, one of the inspector's men came rushing in. Have you seen him? he asked. Isn't he here? The inspector himself arrived at a run, greatly excited. The prisoner's escaped! He ran back through the inn! He can't be far away! A dozen rustics appeared like a whirlwind. They ransacked the lofts, the stables, the sheds. They scattered over the neighborhood, but the search led to no discovery. Oh, hang it all, said Renin, who had taken his part in the hunt. How can it have happened? How do I know? spluttered the inspector in despair. I left my three men watching in the next room. I found them this morning fast asleep, stupefied by some narcotic which had been mixed with their wine. And the Dalbrec bird had flown. Which way? Through the window. There were evidently accomplices with ropes and a ladder, and as Dalbrec had a broken leg, they carried him off on the stretcher itself. They left no traces? No traces of footsteps, true. The rain has messed everything up. But they went through the yard, because the stretcher's there. You'll find him, Mr. Inspector, there's no doubt of that. In any case, you may be sure that you won't have any trouble over the affair. I shall be in Paris this evening, and shall go straight to the prefecture, where I have influential friends. Renine went back to the two women in the coffee room, and Hortense at once said, It was you who carried him off, wasn't it? Please put Rose-André's mind at rest. She's so terrified. He gave Rose-André his arm and led her to the car. 
She was staggering and very pale, and she said in a faint voice, Are we going? And he, is he safe? Won't they catch him again? Looking deep into her eyes, he said, Swear to me, Rosandre, that in two months, when he is well and when I have proved his innocence, swear that you will go away with him to America. I swear. And that once there, you will marry him. I swear. He spoke a few words in her ear. Ah, she said. May heaven bless you for it. Hortense took her seat in front with Renine, who sat at the wheel. The inspector, hat in hand, fussed around the car until it moved off. They drove through the forest, crossed the Seine at La Mairee, and struck into the Havre-Rouen road. Take off your glove and give me your hand to kiss, Renine ordered. You promised that you would. Oh, said Hortense, but it was to be when Dalbrecht was saved. He is saved. Not yet. The police are after him. They may catch him again. He will not be really saved until he is with Rose Andre. He is with Rose Andre, he declared. What do you mean? Turn around. She did so. In the shadow of the hood, right at the back, behind the chauffeur, Rose Andre was kneeling beside a man lying on the seat. Oh, stammered Hortense. It's incredible. Then it was you who hit him last night. And he was there, in front of the inn, when the inspector was seeing us off. Lord, yes, he was there, under the cushions and rugs. It's incredible, she repeated, utterly bewildered. It's incredible. How are you able to manage it all? I wanted to kiss your hand, he said. She removed her glove as he bade her, and raised her hand to his lips. The car was speeding between the peaceful Seine and the white cliffs that border it. They sat silent for a long while. Then he said, I had a talk with Dalbrecht last night. He's a fine fellow and is ready to do anything for Rose Andre. He's right. A man must do anything for the woman he loves. He must devote himself to her, offer her all that is beautiful in this world, joy and happiness, and, if she should be bored, stirring adventures to distract her, to excite her and to make her smile, or even weep. Hortense shivered and her eyes were not quite free from tears. For the first time, he was alluding to the sentimental adventure that bound them by a tie which as yet was frail, but which became stronger and more enduring with each of the ventures on which they entered together, pursuing them feverishly and anxiously to their close. Already she felt powerless and uneasy with this extraordinary man, who subjected events to his will and seemed to play with the destinies of those whom he fought or protected. He filled her with dread, and at the same time he attracted her. She thought of him sometimes as her master, sometimes as an enemy against whom she must defend herself, but oftenest as a perturbing friend, full of charm and seduction.' 